What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, fresh off the three feet of snow mountain in, I don't even know where, where you were this weekend. Vermont. Vermont. Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? That's right. Snow gang out here. Woo boys. Back at it again. What's good? Woo boys. Um, Dave, we, uh, we're in, in the dredges right now of, uh, of content. We're, we're waiting for mm. some shows to wrap up to talk about them. We're waiting for some, some good movies to drop or to come near us so we can talk about them. Yep. Uh, so we're left kind of uh, scraping this episode together. And that's where we start. First today. time in a long time, to be honest. Yeah, the, <laughs> the content goldmine has been pretty good to us so far yeah. this year. Um, and dead, dead just, end, dead end. We 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 hit we hit an air air cavity. Got to back out. I don't think it's that bad. Like no, we, it's we, not. We've had worse episodes for sure. Or, or oh, less oh, to talk about. The deeper we look, we're like oh wait, so and so also dropped music this week. All right, we got more stuff. Excellent. Exactly. <laughs> we we went from like two high profile albums to four high profile drops. So not 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 too shabby. But we're gonna start somewhere that most people would probably consider pretty shabby. It's been a while since we talked about these topics on the podcast. We're gonna start in the reality TV world. Dave, a lot of reality television is in the culture right now. We got a new bachelorette announced today, Claire Crawley, thirty eight years old. The people love the pick. Uh we have the bachelor wrapping up with um uh, probably one of the worst bachelors ever in history. We have Love is Blind and The Circle on Netflix emerging mm-hmm. as real reality TV contenders. But most importantly, Survivor 40, uh, War of the Winners. Winners at War. Hey, yeah. Either way. Same thing. <laughs> my, all that matters is my guy, Boston Rob, is still safe. Amba is on Extinction Island. Amba. Just can't help a Amba. <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> Hey, I was actually surprised to learn you've been watching Survivor. Tell me what's going on there. That's right. Yeah, I used to watch Survivor a lot as a kid back when it was really first coming out, those first few seasons. Probably stopped watching it, I don't know, mid-2000s. So it's been a very, very long time. So learning and listening to people talk about this new season, season 40, and hearing is kind of catching up on a lot of the new convention of new survivor and uh, mm. contemporary survivor as it idols. is. You know? Right. I, like, I know I, I knew idols, but there's so many other uh, elements that, uh, that, and that just kind of changed the pace of the game mm-hmm. that, and as you can imagine, 40 seasons, 20 years, it would make sense that it would evolve to stay alive. Um, but yeah. The reason I was interested in just cause like there were some OGs that I actually remembered watching as a prepubescent, boy you know it's just kind of funny to return to that and now you know back it's funny back in the day i used to like really like like the challenges and the uh surviving aspect of survivor i just thought that was cool not like much you'd see on tv you know think of like Mm -hmm. um uh what's his name uh uh bear grills getting really big at that time the same same thought Mm. um but now I, I just kind of think of it the way I think about like fantasy sports and I'm like, Oh, the mind games, the strategy. Yeah. I just appreciate watching that. And it's really cool. Of course, watching uh, a cast of only veterans, only winners, uh, the same old uh, 
tricks don't always work when everyone's a vet. So it, it's cool. Cool so far. So yeah, Boston Rob though, uh, he's survived so far. Tough to understand why, given the reputation he has. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it, it, I love how he just runs shit, even though. Uh, if I was on that island, he'd probably be one of the first people you try to get off. But people are just like afraid to vote him off. Yeah. He's, the, he's the Godfather. You know, you need his approval. Like, you what? come to me on the day of Amber getting voted out. <laughs> this uh, the, I cannot do. The the move he played, the the move he made when he had everybody dump out their idols at um at the last no, the second to last tribal council yes. was uh just a testament to his status in the game because there's no reason for any of them to listen to him people no. just d- do what he says it's crazy um yeah survivor 40 has been great uh i'm i'm excited about the bachelor pick you know the uh, the bachelorette pick the bachelor of the season so we're wrapping up the main critique is that everybody's just really young and uh obviously these relationships aren't going to work out and yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see something more mature. The Bachelor franchise is just expanding rapidly. They're doing this music uh, thing now. They're doing summer games. They're going to be shameful. Bachelor in Paradise. They're doing seniors soon. They're going to okay, be casting cool. for seniors. So I respect that. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the seniors, but the other <laughs> stuff, I'm like, eh, this is going to be it, a bit. It's more. just true, John. Out, they are so far up their own ass with multiple episodes that are so long there's just too many hours of bachelor a week for any one season it just it's obnoxious it's it's a lot I, and I, I can i can see that even more obnoxious is love is blind on netflix uh i just started this last night dave and uh, already at one episode in someone has confessed to being in love with the other person the other person agreed and they're engaged um kind of crazy it is in uh, fact blind how about that yeah and they haven't seen each other yet so uh, left me on that that cliffhanger. Excited for episode two, and I'll, I'll be coming back to that as as I finish up the circle. Though I, I would die for Shubham and Joey and Sammy on that show. They're if fucking you say awesome. so. <laughs> you, you, you should definitely watch. I know you won't, but you, you should. Did you watch Cheer as well? Another reality phenomenon on Netflix. Haven't gotten around to it. Uh, the the reality on Netflix is actually kind of an interesting thing. I feel like it. I came out of nowhere, but for them, it makes I think so much sense. It's mm-hmm. much cheaper than mo- most of the other things that they're producing, and it gets a big audience. Uh, and it's it's mindless television that they can produce very easily. It's smart. Yeah, it just it go, it just kind of loops back into the Netflix's overall content strategy of being all things to all people, or at least mm-hmm. something to all people. And reality TV is a big component of that, and like you said, it has a much lower cost. Because you're not casting any money famous. It's, yeah, the return's good. So it's another way for them to just get viral moments and win weekends the way they've been doing. And also a way for them to experiment with different, like, uh, releases of content and different amounts of episodes and stuff. So that's, I'm more interested in just their strategy of it than the actual content itself. But uh, it's an interesting time. You know, they also have, uh, was it that music show that uh, Cardi B was on? I forget what it's called um hmm. something yeah they're, they're 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 doing a lot yeah i mean it, to uh, do a little baseball reference it's kind of like the modified La- labadini you know in a sense is what netflix is doing <laughs> that's funny where like blumhouse has, has kind of perfected this they put out like a five million dollar budget movie hope to make 30 40 back so that they can fund these other bigger budget movies that will get them acclaimed but probably not make as much mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what Netflix is going for, you know, the prestige movies, the Irishmen, the Manx, the Marriage uh, Romas, Story. Marriage Stories, and then 
churn out this mindless crap that everybody's going to want to watch and make a mm-hmm. lot of money. And that's what people subscribe for. So it's an interesting, interesting strategy. Uh, we'll be talking more about reality te- television at some point in the future. Uh, no, no, no promises <laughs> for when, but at some point, I'm sure. If Boston Rob wins, we'll be back. Uh, even if he doesn't, I, whenever he's off, I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> something I was not prepared to be talking about today, uh, as of last week, was Christina and the Queens, because they right. dropped a surprise EP, although they had dropped the single uh, People Have Been Sad a couple weeks ago, and now an EP of five songs, uh, six in total, but one is just the uh, the French to English translation. Um La Vida Nuova. I uh, definitely right. didn't say that as beautifully as the French can say. The new it, life. I am, I am if nothing but a, a American idiot. So uh, <laughs> this is what you get, people. So Christine the Queens, right? Uh, last two albums, growing in status. Chris, their their most recent one, I believe, is 2018. We didn't review mm-hmm. it, but got a well lot liked. of a lot of. Uh, Good, good reviews and, and high regard within the music industry and really propelled Christine and the Queens to a higher status. And then, you know, we talked about Charlie XCX in their most recent album last year. And that was, one, that was your best song of the year was the song with her on it. Gone. Yes. Incredible. I mean, she's been on a bit of a heater. And then this, this song drops. Uh, People have been sad already on our playlist. Nostalgia Best of 2020. Check that out. How do you feel about the whole EP now that you've heard a couple more songs? Yeah, no, it's sick for sure. Um, and when people have been sad, the lead single dropped. I was like, yeah, this is really sick. I like this a lot. This is uh, like what Chris does, but I don't know, more more easily packaged. Kind of like that other big song she had from back in the day, Girlfriend, I think it's called. Um and then I was actually wasn't I was like oh yeah cool maybe she'll really uh, release an album, and then sure enough this EP comes out with very limited notice, also released on Because Music the independent label like her other stuff so it's it, it, I think it's really interesting too because this is the first time she's done Italian uh, lyrics since the very first album, and. Just hear, hearing a, an EP that uses English, French, and Italian, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's just obviously very uncommon for any kind of mainstream music, and especially something like, uh, I think, as accessible as synth pop of this, this, this sound, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think it, it, it's pretty fucking good. And uh, I think People I've Been Sad is the obvious highlight that's just uh, kind of highlights what she does in terms of... Um, really getting emotional and making those emotions easy to grasp and uh, I, I guess understand the feeling and it's very 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 intimate uh, performer and lyricist and that really comes across in the CP I also like Nada a lot as well yeah you know I think intimate is a really uh, it's, it's a good word to describe it you know the song that stood out most to me and people have been sad is fantastic but mountains we met i thought was really moving it's really in that um that same lane for me as something like the nationals uh light years from last year where it was like i just thought it was an absolutely beautiful song very like chill low-key vibes to it but just something about her vocal performance in that track and and the way that she kind of layers in the the mountains we met is just 
fantastic. Um, I thought I thought that was the song that stood out most to me. But you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, Christine the Queen's just so so good at evoking emotion um, and 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 projecting her meaning um, through her vocals. And, and even when I, even when she's in French, it's it's riveting stuff. In the production yeah. on this, I mean, it, it switches tempos pretty much every song goes up and down throughout the whole thing, but you're, you're hanging on every word. Um, I'm hoping that this is uh, leading to a, a bigger album because it feels like she's just continuing to, um, to kind of find her stride within the industry. Mm-hmm. Did you by chance watch the, the music video accompanying the EP? I did not No, It's like more of a short film, right? It's yeah. It's, it's hard to call it a film. It's like her just dancing, uh, kind of strangely to each song and it ends with um, Caroline Polachek who she was uh, featured on her album uh, hmm. recently and her doing this like vampire-esque like dance where Christine's actually a vampire and oh right uh, it's, it, but it goes all throughout France all throughout Paris um, into these like just beautiful settings and it's it's an awesome uh awesome watch i wouldn't say it's it's a music video i'll probably find myself coming back to just because it is very strange but uh visually just stunning and just symbolizes more her creative genius i think and we're going to be seeing a lot more of her for sure. yeah for sure yeah people haven't said definitely one of my favorite songs of the year thus far no doubt yeah it's up, it's up there for me as well um going from one artist with two albums dropping an EP to another artist with two albums dropping an EP disclosure dropping ecstasy this weekend as well. Um, they, they've been kind of dropping these songs here, there, everywhere last couple of weeks. Now they they came out as one whole package. Um, wow. We haven't heard from disclosure in what, three, four years. Uh, well, that's the thing. So the last album was 2015. And then they had drilled released two EPs, one in 2016, one in 2018. I think those EPs didn't make a huge impression. There's some cool stuff on there. I liked Funky Six Sensation on the last one, for example. But yeah, um, generally speaking, we haven't heard a full-length Disclosure album in a long-ass time, literally before we had the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean Disclosure hasn't been around. Uh, famously, they produced Talk for Khalid, mm-hmm. a song that was nominated for Record of the Year, a massive hit. Um, but yeah, this is. Uh, it seems like they're gearing up for a full length. They, the way they message this EP is that they're going to let it sink in for a bit, but then you'll, you'll, we'll hear from them again soon. So this feels like a bit of a sample platter. Notably, the second song they made with Khalid, Know Your Worth, which came out earlier in the month, was not on this Ecstasy EP. So you feel like they're probably saving that for the full length album whenever it comes. Mm. This... Uh... You know, whereas a lot of the disclosure songs I've heard off those those EPs feel very in line with the sounds you hear on uh, on Caracol and uh, Settle, um, this feels incredibly eclectic, and it feels like they are drawing a lot of influence from a lot of different genres, a lot of different parts of the world. Um, and I thought this this ecstasy EP was fantastic um, especially the tondo was just mm-hmm. uh, probably one of my my favorite dance songs the last couple of years just the energy of it um, the production of it was incredible i also really liked how they uh they basically flipped this uh, e-tran this, this e-tran finatua sample uh, mm-hmm. and i thought that was absolutely 
um, encapsulating too. Just they had this like I don't know. Uh, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was just like chanting that they flipped over and mm-hmm. put a beat to eventually, and it was mesmerizing. So a lot of different sounds throughout this. Obviously, a lot of disco influence. Seems like they're going a little bit more upbeat than maybe mm-hmm. they have in the past. Yeah. How, what, what was your feelings around the sample or the, about these collection of songs? Oh yeah, no. There's actually, there's a ton of samples on here too. Even on a uh, was it uh, ecstasy has that disco sample yep. uh, from Aquarium Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, isn't even known in the future. But uh, yeah, you know, on, on first listen, and it's so short, I had to listen again just to kind of grasp it. Because yeah, like Disclosure, pretty well known for having like big sounds. And when they jump around from big sound to big sound, you got to takes a second to process it all. Uh, when I heard Ecstasy, the first track, title track, I was like, wait a minute. This sounds like traditional house music to me. Mm-hmm. Just a, a loop. A loop that keeps going they keep going back to the same loop generally stuff i don't really care for in house music i don't like it when it when, when it feels so repetitive like that but then we get to the other tracks and we get the samples coming in more heavily and the uh instrumentation the production changes throughout the song again more more in line what we expect from them uh with tondo uh, when the horns come in right before mm-hmm. it really picks up you know uh, that's like, all right, yeah, this is what we expect from Disclosure because generally speaking, I think they have really varied um, production within the course of a song. I think you think of their big hits like Latch or White Noise or Magnets. You know, those are those are not loops. Those are not Tiesto loops. You know, so uh, it's cool to see them. I think getting back to the more intricate stuff that they, uh, I think, made their name on because Talk, of course, with Khalid, a master of Smash, was not exactly as a uh, uh, detailed you know that was more more subdued uh mo- moody beat you know so i i think this is pretty cool i think it's generally it's, it's just a good sign of i think where they're at and what, what they're hopefully gonna keep giving us mm-hmm. no i agree and it feels different than settle or caracal which I, i'm excited for to hear them doing yeah. a little bit more um i felt like settle and caracal were very similar in terms of their sound and, and the way that they crafted their songs this feels like they're trying a lot of stuff so i'm, I'm excited to see where where they go from here um definitely gonna be adding one of those songs to our nostalgia best of 2020 um princess nokia this past weekend another uh album that we weren't totally prepared for but um i think you were expecting something soon drop this double album uh, yeah everything sucks and everything's beautiful um which first of all i love the aesthetic of the cover uh when, when you start talking everybody will see what it looks like yeah look yeah. <laughs> just uh, uh she she seems like a very um uh, a very interesting very funny she doesn't take herself super seriously all the time artist which i, I kind of like mm-hmm. hold, hold that chinchilla babe um princess nokia though is this a, a good double album is this necessary i mean it's it's pretty interesting project to kind of have mm-hmm. this one very specific sound and then a very another specific sound on the other album yeah it's funny it, the way it's released it's almost not a double album it's almost just two albums released at the same time mm. like it's like it's like two different discs um but yeah either way obviously they release in tandem they're gonna be thought about together in tandem the title suggests as much mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah i'd been expecting something because she had dropped uh, Balenciaga, which is off Everything Sucks back in November. I liked that song a lot. I was just 
you know, it, it seemed like she was gearing up and then she started doing some uh, stuff. But yeah, again, I, I, this, this was still kind of ghost drop, so it wasn't on the radar. Um, and that's kind of cool because she's a completely independent artist. There's no, no support, no, no label on, uh, to speak of with this. So she just, I guess she just said, F it. I'm just going to, uh, no need to promote any further. Here it is. So I think that's kind of, that's cool. I like that confidence, but, um, yeah, you know, the everything is beautiful aspect is new for Prince Nokia. And I don't know how you felt about that, but for me, that kind of just reminded me of some like no name, uh, mm. karaoke to me, like in terms of the, uh, the tone of yep. the, uh, uh, of the messaging, you know, the tone of voice and the, I guess the, the lack of punch, even if it's talking about more uh, deeper themes, you know, I, I feel like that was a little no name, a little chance even, I guess. Um, and then everything sucks was this more trap more. Uh, I guess, also, I guess pretty simple as well, but my, my overall takeaway was that Prince Nokia is still kind of bouncing around in terms of sound. Like the last, the last project was much more emo-y and I mean, she she she, she kind of got on everyone's radar in 2017 when she dropped 1992 Deluxe. That's a really good tape. Um, and she's kind of just been a been a presence as like a unique New York underground rap figure, truly underground. But coming off this double album, uh, I'm still confused as to where I want her to go because I. I feel like her strengths are kind of in between these two things. And she kind of just oversimplified both sides of these sounds on these two discs. It's like almost like she, she, she spread herself too thin. I, maybe if she had focused and tried to come together on this, I would have liked it more. So yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting to me just cause I, I'm just kind of left with that. I'm not sure where she wants to take it, but I mean, what did you think? I, this was your first time listening to her. We talked about it briefly when uh, Seven Rings dropped by Ariana Grande because she was kind of biting. Ari was kind of biting some Nokia flows, but we have never reviewed one of her projects before. Yeah, uh, I I thought I thought it was very ambitious to have these two concepts. I'm not sure if the quality was there w- throughout each project. Like I, I found myself listening fairly passively as I was doing other things. And just kind of being like, oh, that song really stood out to me. And then there, were, I'd go a song or two where I felt a real lull. Perhaps if I gave it more of a, of a closer listen, I would have found them to be a little bit more consistent. But I did feel like it was a bit up and down. Um, but yeah, the, like the the trap um, that you talked about on Everything Sucks, I found a little bit more um, up her alley. And she seemed to kind of rock with that a little bit more. Like mm-hmm. Crazy House really stood out. I, I thought that song sounded fucking awesome. Um, gross and just a kid were also uh, tracks off that, which I liked yeah. a lot. Just a kid flows. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I think she just flows over those a little bit better. Whereas um, like Gemini um, and, and shit, uh, S H I T off of uh, everything is beautiful. Those are the ones that stood out there, but it, I, I agree. I kind of wrote down, this feels like more Chicago rap that we've heard, but just done better. Um, so I agree. It's kind of like that no-name karaoke, so to speak. And I th- I'm glad she's trying stuff, though. Like it, it's cool that she seems to want to explore, have has a vision. Mm-hmm. Dropping two albums at once is, yeah, definitely unique. Um, so I'm, uh, I, I appreciate the attempt. Don't know if it landed totally, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Also, I noticed with Just a Kid, the uh, the mix. Well, intentionally or not, I don't know, but the mix literally drops down and 
the volume decreases significantly for like a 20 second stretch in the middle of the song and then it goes back up to normal it's like um not sure if that's supposed to be an artistic decision i hope that's not just a sign of bad mixing because that's a pretty egregious mistake if that's the case i don't know <laughs> yeah that would be really bad I, I noticed that too i assumed that was planned yeah um i was also thinking like the the first track on everything sucks harley quinn was like, yeah. oh, well uh i mean a lot a lot of the new ladies in hip-hop got to make songs for the birds of prey soundtrack but Nokia didn't get invited she made her own anyway that's pretty cool <laughs> uh tough tough movie to pick a uh to, to make a song after and not get invited onto the soundtrack but uh, <laughs> alas princess nokia everything's beautiful everything sucks yeah probably somewhere in the middle of those two uh soccer mommy though definitely good um soccer mm. mommy's 2018 breakout uh clean on uh, my best of the year list on many people's best of year lists um you know songs like uh my dog your uh, dog your dog don't want to be that so, don't want to be my dog or your dog <laughs> um really like propelled her into like indie the indie spotlight um up there with the likes of you know and these are the lazy comparisons but you know uh phoebe bridgers lucy dacus people like that and julian baker etc yeah, you know just the, the, the laziest comparisons <laughs> we can possibly make right now all the um, women but, pop it in indie rock yeah but but she she does have that sound and um it, it was interesting because with clean there were some songs that were pretty fast high energy and then a couple and then the the ones that really hit that were emotionally stirring were the more slow uh not as as tempo driven songs and uh this this second album color theory from soccer mommy feels like sophie sophia allison really just wanted to make a, a 90s uh like uh indie album like she was going for uh the the pete and pete style uh, i don't know if you were if you even know what pete and pete is dave you're you're a youngin but there's a nickelodeon television show uh but oh shit no. You don't remember it, do you? No. no. Uh, it's too bad. But anyways, uh, <laughs> she she's just going for that like '90s nostalgia, man. Like, and that's kind of what mm, I felt throughout sure. this whole thing. Um, I, yeah. I don't think that's a unique observation, but she she cites Avril Lavigne as a influence. <laughs> Complicated stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I don't really hear a lot of Avril. On this. No, I don't hear it either. But you you get the sense that if she was making this music at the formative years that she cites for her influences, it would be much more successful and more mainstream just because mm -hmm. this kind of stuff was more popping back then, you know, now yeah. she's kind of just reduced to being like a A-lister in the indie scene, which means she's only kind of famous, you know? <laughs> right. And I guess it's like, as I, as I'm listening to this album, the thing that really stood out to me is um, this is a lot sleepier. And it could have used some more of that up tempo-ness from Clean, yeah. but I think that her writing and just her overall crafting of these lower, uh, lower tempo, sleepier songs is more pinpoint on this album. So I think mm. that while it's not as good of an album as Clean, there's progression from her as an yeah. artist that feels very, uh, very exciting. How did you feel listening to this? I, I don't think this is very much up your alley. Uh, no, you know, it's funny. I've listened to all her stuff, including those 
two Bandcamp albums, which are now on streaming. So this is really your fourth mm-hmm. album um, since 2016 at that. Pretty prolific output for someone who's only 22. Mm-hmm. So I think that in general, just she's a very exciting uh, artist. Um, yeah, I actually, throughout, throughout the whole discography, I liked her a lot more than I expected. I like her a lot more than, say, Julian Baker, some of her other contemporaries, just because I think she does a really good job of generally maintaining an upbeat sound even when she's kind of talking about uh sadder stuff you know generally the it's a lot of acoustic guitars usually Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason the way it's uh living next to the drums like i I just really like the instrumentation generally throughout so uh it just holds my attention and in this case on color theory i think the first three tracks is an awesome sequence bloodstream circle the drain and royal screw up that shit's that shit hits Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on some, she loses me a little bit when it's a little, when it's a little slower, but then it comes back again, you know, stuff like uh, Lucy and Stain at the end. So overall, I liked it because, she, you know, I guess this may be a light criticism, but her music is kind of straightforward in terms of how it's made. And I think maybe that's where she's a little influenced by like stuff of her youth, but like you kind of grasp the song structure really easy. And generally the guitars and the instruments nothing's like super gonna super wow you it's just kind of like well made to the point music and when you have that with her really strong consistent songwriting uh it just makes the songs really easy to grasp because they're, i think they're either easy to hear so easy to listen to so i i enjoy this quite a bit yeah i agree the the first three songs really set out the most to me um that that trio at the beginning is incredibly strong i also thought lucy which is one of the singles mm-hmm. uh, really uh, filled in the back half pretty well um it, you know what makes this a tough listen for me in, in a sense is um the the grooviness that a song like your dog really brings where like it has that like thumping bass line is kind of lost in this but i think that makes sense because we're clean i think focused a lot on relationships uh especially like romantic relationships partner relationships how um you know breaking out of an unhealthy one um can be uh difficult but also uh, empowering this really focused a lot on um sophia's uh, relationship with her mom and her mom who's dying of cancer specifically especially mm-hmm. in the back half and it's it's a it's an emotionally taxing listen i think and it not that the that a knock on her at all it's just it's heavy content um if, if you really get into the lyrics and right the songs uh don't really aren't very uplifting in that sense so if you're if you're sitting with that it can be a bit heavy how did you feel about the centerpiece of the album yellow is the color of her eyes Seven uh, minutes. yeah you know my thoughts on long songs like that um Honestly, I think the the highlight circle, the circle, circle, the drain. The drain, yeah, yeah. Um, the song is fucking awesome. Emotional highlight, anyway. So, yeah, um, I think it's this kind of makes sense as a progression from clean to now because she's progressed in terms of acclaim, and she kind of she's talked about in, in, in profiles recently about how as someone on an indie label, she really just makes her bones touring like most musicians. Mm-hmm. So. Her life has certainly changed a lot recently and combine that with the person, personal issues she's going to get into, obviously with the family, um, you know, she's changed. So it makes sense that her music has changed a little bit too. Mm-hmm. 
we're we're poised to be talking about these uh, female artists in the indie sphere this year, as I think Phoebe Bridgers is gearing yeah. up for an album. Just dropped a great single, "Garden Song," which uh, is on our playlist. Um, Waxahachie just dropped a couple of songs that, and it seems like they're gearing up to drop an album as, as well. So we'll be talking more, and I think we'll be comparing these as well. So maybe maybe we'll, we'll do some rankings at the end of the year or something like that. But uh, Soccer Mommy, Color Theory, definitely worth the listen. Check that out. You know, we didn't have a long wait between uh, uh, Soccer Mommy's albums dropping. Pete Davidson, when was the last time you listened to any of his stand-up? He only has one special, if I remember, right? 2016, SMD. So four years? And I actually yeah. never listened to it. People told yeah, me they liked either. it, but I never heard it. it. What are your feelings on Pete Davidson? Just as a comedian, mm. famous person. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing. I like him as a famous person, as a celebrity, as a presence mm. in mainstream entertainment. Uh, as a stand-up comedian, just that, uh, I'm not as interested. It's funny. We don't really talk about stand-up in general on this. We talk about stand-up when it's related to people that are, uh, I think, bigger than just stand-up. Aziz, Chappelle, mm-hmm. Chris Rock are the ones we've really discussed. P. Davidson, whether justly or not, is in that group because he's famous for more than just being a stand-up comedian. Um you know, I mean, I feel like he's kind of been in our lives a long time because he got on SNL like six years ago. He was the first cast member born in the 90s to be on the cast. And I think he had some early, early hits on SNL in terms of just bits. But yeah, now he's just kind of known for more being a just just, just being being a tabloid fixture and, of course, branching off into movies. So, yeah, I'm just more interested in just t- following the career. And in particular, I'm actually very excited because he has a a movie coming out on Hulu on the 13th of March called Big Time Adolescence, which was a, got a warm reception last year in the festivals, and apparently he's really good in it. So excited for that. But yeah, as a stand-up comedian, uh, he, he, he's, he's a little mid. Yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely mid. Isn't he also going to be in the, the Lebowski follow-up, The Jesus Rolls? I think he's oh, is he? in that cast. Hold on. Yeah, I think he plays his son or something like that. Yep. So he's also in... He's in The Suicide Squad from James Gunn. He uh, infamously got time off from SNL to film that, much as chagrin of some of his coworkers. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know he uh, even when he's on SNL, he definitely seems to be working hard. Although I didn't see this week's episode, but John Mulaney was on it, and I think he was in a lot more skits because they have the they've been touring together doing the, yes, the whole. Thing they're like thing. legit friends. Yeah. Other than that, it seems like Pete just doesn't have a much of a presence on SNL for whatever reason. He's just not involved in a whole lot of it. And apparently he's not super involved in the writer's room either. He's just kind of a weird presence on the show because they've never really grown him out. And now he's kind of bigger than the show, despite never really becoming a fixture of the show itself. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's weird because if, if you follow the show at all, his, he has one reoccurring character who they use a lot. His name is Chad. And he just basically is like, Oh, okay. Like he just is a dumb white guy. Um, it's that. And then he'll show up on weekend update update to do Mm -hmm. his own stick, but he's just playing himself, not a character. So, uh, he never has really ingrained himself there. You know, he he came out hot, his first appearance on SNL, people were like, Oh, this is like the next Eddie Murphy. It it was hilarious got a lot of attention and then he never seemed to really propel that forward on the show. So 
very interesting, especially because, uh, you know, they don't even use him to act in a lot of bits, but he gets a lot more roles in feature films. So uh, tough to kind of make sense of that for me. Um, But we digress. Pete dropped his his second uh, stand-up special um, this past weekend. Dave, I didn't like it all that much. Not going to lie. How did you feel about it? Yeah, Alive from New York, the second special. Um, there, there, there are certain moments that I like or I like the sentiment of, but in terms of like the form of stand-up, he's just not like super polished. Mm-hmm. Like digressions, longer than normal pauses. Uh, just giggling on stage. Muttering, you know, it's just, it, it's just kind of, uh, he's just not as refined as a stand-up comedian, whether, so, so, you, you, like the concepts of some of his bits, you feel it could have been better if it was just a more, more polished set. But he's never been a much more more polished stand-up. I don't think anyone's ever really said he has been. Um, you know, I think he made some noise. Was it last year when him and Mulaney did like that small run of shows together throughout the country? But that's more just because he can just riff with one of his boys. No, he, he would ne- he would he would be the first to tell you he's not a Mulaney's level as a setter, setting up a joke or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think he kind of leaned into his strengths though on this special because he leans into the fact that he's a famous guy with a lot of shit going on, and he just kind of tells us more about that. And I frankly, I think that's what we're most interested to hear from him. So, yeah. you know, like I feel like the Louis C.K. Uh, joke. Yeah. You obviously saw the joke coming a mile away. He didn't. He set it up great, but it's just kind of funny hearing him tell that story. Same thing when he's going to spill the tea on Ariana, like. He's just, he's a famous person and he yeah. has a lot of baggage. So I don't know. I, I, I agree for what, for what he was working with and his, his lack of, uh, his lack of experience in, in this realm. Uh, I guess it was better than it could be. It could have been. Uh, right. However, I, I just found myself bored for stretches of this mm-hmm. and it's funny because I think the Louis CK thing was a great way to kind of come out. The Ariana stuff was definitely interesting. I think there was some really good payoff with that, but then I found myself probably most interested, like third most interested at the very end. He started telling the story about his dad. Right. Kind of ends with the, like the weird story. That's about the your friend. dad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, I thought that was fantastic. And then it, then it ends. And I was like, Oh man, like I feel like it's always good to go out on a big laugh. But when you didn't, when you go for long stretches where sure. I really felt just uninterested, it just feels like you're leaving me wanting more when mm-hmm. there's nothing more for you to give me. It just it did not feel like it was paced, I guess, well in that way. But maybe that's that's all he had. I don't know. Um, I, I guess I was just disappointed with it, and I haven't found a lot of these um, these specials to be great. You know, and they, they 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 just announced today Netflix that they're going to be doing this whole comedy thing in LA coming up, like the Hollywood Comedy Rodeo, is what they're calling it, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. The, the Netflix is a joke sub brand is a yeah. huge aspect of Netflix. They just mm-hmm. really just took over the stand up comedy scene because they could pay more money than Comedy Central ever could, and HBO kind of lost interest in competing, so they mm-hmm. dominate stand up comedy. It's kind of cool they're going to transition that to live event. It's pretty impressive lineup yeah i mean you got david letterman chappelle sarah silverman um just to name a couple uh it's it's going to be quite the event and some of these will be special some of them won't um but i mean how what do you feel like their batting averages on these specials so far 
Uh, in your, I guess, just in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm a very casual fan of stand up. I really only care about people that I like from other things, like whether it's SNL or movies or something. But I don't know. I feel, I feel like they kind of, I mean, they made Ali Wong a star off two specials, right? That's true. Um, they gave us Chris Rock's first special in a long ass time. The Aziz comeback special, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of Chappelle ones, some of which won won some awards. Uh, Jerry, I mean, I didn't watch the Jerry Seinfeld one, but that was his first one in a while. Um, and then I guess they also kind of give give a chance to lesser known comics because remember they were doing those like not full length specials, but those shorter like segments. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of experimenting with the form a little bit, so. Yeah, in terms of the batting average, it's probably low just because there's so much out there from them as Netflix is wont to do with everything. Look no further than their movie output for a, a lack of consistent quality. But yeah, um, I, I think it's kind of, it's just cool because they're just they drop the bag for such a long period of time to just take it over, and now they just kind of own the scene. So I don't know, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't like attribute this Pete Davidson special uh, being whatever to to netflix because i think this is just more to do with just pete just yeah. not really being much of a stand-up comic no i agree i guess i just i feel a little disappointed in uh these specials it feels like you know like you mentioned some of the bigger ones those are the ones we've talked about i'm not totally versed on some of the smaller ones which uh things like i think ronnie chang has gotten really strong yes. reviews i haven't yep. had a chance to listen to that yet um i just i don't know i just have felt disappointed by it um I kind of wish that there was uh, some more competition with them. Perhaps that might uh, push them. But, you know, it, like you said, it kind of comes back to the people doing it. And I think stand-up and comedy just in general is in a very weird spot right now um, yeah. as, as we move forward. Sure. You know, what, what was once acceptable is not anymore. Things like TikTok uh, are, are mm-hmm. kind of seen as, like, kind of capturing, like, the up-and-coming comedy sphere of, like, making yeah, something sure. short, quick, witty. It's Post-Vine world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange at atmosphere in comedy right now. But if you get a good stand-up, man, there's nothing like it. So, uh, what, what do you want from Pete moving forward? It sounds like he's not very uh, jazzed about his SNL tenure and probably would just like to leave at this point. So, I, like I said, I'm curious to see what happens to Big Time Adolescence and uh, whether he wants to be a movie star in the capital M sense. I don't know, you know, with his mental health issues and all that, but it seems like that's the road he's moving towards. That's a good question. Um, man, I, I don't really know. I, I think SNL keeps him relevant. Um, he, I mean, he, he bags a lot of stars. Like somehow yeah. he's always it's crazy. Like, dating someone famous, which I don't, yeah. I don't really get the, the long list at this point. He, he, yeah. he, he's like young Jeter almost at this. Like it, it's pretty, pretty nuts. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess if anything, maybe continuing to collaborate with Mulaney, who, um, yeah, who he dropped, boy. Yeah, Mulaney dropped a special earlier this year. We didn't talk about it, but it got a lot of positive reviews. Um, I think if, if there's any chance for him to really propel himself to becoming a top tier comic, it would be through Mulaney's like mentorship, probably. He's going to yeah. have his own style. He's not going to ever be Mulaney. Mulaney is really one of one in a lot of ways, but. Um, uh, I think that's probably his best. But what do you think? Where what do you want to see from Pete? Yeah, I, it, it doesn't feel like he's ever going to get to like the intricate 
intelligent level of jokes that you think of from Melania or Aziz or someone like that. Mm-hmm. So he'd probably have to play into, I don't know, his like Lothario bro status, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. He'd have to just work with Melania to, I guess, become more polished as a comic. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, with, with, with the level of fame he's, he, he's achieved through creatively uh, a, a pretty uh, low volume of output, you know, maybe, maybe he'll actually try hard and see what happens. I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I, I don't think he's at any, any danger of falling off, though. I really don't because he hasn't had, had to do much to maintain his, his status already. Yeah, you know, I was going to say maybe he can just kind of become like the Snoop Dogg of the comedy world where he just is kind of like this like figure who pops up in uh, in these specials or in these like comedy bits and he's just high, you know, all the time. Yeah. Um, but man, I don't know. I feel like Snoop Dogg still had way more clout and he had he had the resume way more than Pete sure. does to back yeah, that There's up, no so doggy like, style from Pete Davidson. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, I don't know where he goes. It's yeah. going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. yeah. SNL seems short or not yeah, long for the future. Uh, probably, I mean, he's, I think he's best when he's like self-deprecating. So I'd say stick to that. And you're probably going to have a lot of material if you keep being a public figure with famous mm-hmm. girlfriends that you date for a short amount of time. So uh, <laughs> let's see what, let's see what happens. Yeah. It's very well, interesting though. It's an it, it, interesting figure for a lot of reasons. Uh, the Pete Davidson special at times felt very long, but let's talk about a form that's going to be very short. Uh, Quibby, quick bites, bigger stories. That's their tagline. Got Dave, em. this, uh, this is a new streaming service because we needed more of these. Um, the streaming wars heating up like never before. Um, but yeah, it's a short, short form streaming service, 10 minutes or less shows movies or however you want to put yeah it, content projects um dave i mean what are your just general thoughts about quibi i mean I, this seems to have kind of come out of nowhere but it's getting a lot of attention yeah quibi launches on april 6th and like you said it's short form content only and i think the the number one uh detail is that it's for your phones only it's content made for your phones right. that you only can watch on your phones. I guess you could cast it to your TV, but there's no TV app. There's no laptop website portal. It's content made for your phone the same way TikTok and Snapchat video is made for your phone. And, you know, it's notable because it's raised, they raised a ton of money and had like advertisers pre-buy in and stuff. And of course it's founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is quite the resume in terms of being the former chairman of Walt Disney Studios, the role now held by Alan Horn. And then he co-founded DreamWorks after he left Disney. So Pretty in good. terms of a guy with a resume, Katzenberg is the guy. And now, I mean, now he's also like really famous for being one of the biggest uh, democratic fundraisers for the democratic party in Hollywood. He's a, he's a powerful, well-connected guy who's done a lot for a long time. And yeah, the money seems to be there, at least in the short term. They, they committed, I think a billion dollars upfront for the first year worth of content. So that's, you know, like a sixth of what Amazon spends per year. Mm-hmm. So that's a solid way to get going, a little less than what Apple spent. But, you know, because it's the short form content, that money almost might go farther because you're just making more and more stuff. And they, they throw out this figure, there'll be 
X thousand numbers of content in the first year, which is a that doesn't mean anything to you because there's going to be like reality stuff and news stuff as well as scripted and on you know uh, comedy and drama. It, it's all there. It's, it's, it seems to be quite the grab bag. Um, and yeah, I think I, at first glance, for most people, they'd be like, "Oh, I don't, I don't need more. Do you need more streaming stuff? Look at the, uh, I think abject." disinterest in Apple TV Plus thus far. Something that is at the same price point, $5 a month. Something that also has been given away by Apple in a lot of cases with, with their hardware. Uh, Apple TV Plus did not launch well. And I think part of that was due to the quality of shows. But Quibi has to ex- excel on a format where everyone's used to getting stuff for free. Everything on Snapchat is free. And Snapchat is in really doing shit with like shows and stuff and they get a lot of viewers and stuff and snapchat of course is is ingrained in the young demo and now of course tiktok is not making original content but people go to it for original content from people so how can quibi get in on that and try and get young people to pay at least a little bit five bucks to watch stuff you know it's an interesting bet you know you look at the content and i think the two that most interest me are the Fugitive remake with Boyd Holbrook and Kiefer Sutherland, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's After Dark, which is a horror series that will be Spielberg's first time writing something since AI way back, and also can only be watched on Quibi after sunset, which I think is a really cool idea. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, but yeah, in terms of this making enough inroads i don't know like what their like level is to get success but like because there will be some ads on the five dollar a month plan but i feel like it needs to have some kind of runaway hit to get people to subscribe just because there's just so much competition and it's also kind of a i don't know like it seems if you listen to a lot of research in terms of and like and like it seems to be the well thought out plan they're not going this willy-nilly or anything but it's hard man and so I really have no idea how to, how, 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 how to expect it to go next month. Yeah. You know, I love the idea. Um, I think best case scenario for them is um, it's uh, event. It gets enough, uh, r- enough goodwill, enough people behind it. Probably not younger people, I would say, but probably more like the 20 to 30 demographics who are, hmm. Um, you know, like watching their kids and watching something right. quickly on their phone and more inclined and then, to pay for something. Right. And then eventually it gets pulled into something like Hulu, Apple plus, like, it, cause if you think about it, if, if you're Apple and you're kind of starting to fall behind in the streaming wars, I would say, you know, the big shows they put out really haven't gotten the, the cultural tension that they were hoping for. I think it'd make a lot of sense to, if this gets off the ground and does get some, some traction, to buy this quickly, you know, and to, to make it part of the Apple plus product. Mm, that's interesting. You know? And that, that, cause they're already on your phone anyway. That's their whole thing. So right. that, that, that's kind of where I see Quibi going. It's this, this feels like a quick, like get in there, a couple of shows, get a lot of attention. Then it gets bought pretty quickly by a bigger company. Right. Um, that, that, yeah. that, and probably eventually something like a 24 getting bought out by one of these bigger studios as yeah. well, like Apple plus or something like that. But. Yeah, a- Apple has a relationship with A24, so they'd probably be the favorite at this point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with Quibi, the scripted shows are going to be like two to two and a half hours in total length. 
12 to 14 daily episodes and they're going to drop a new scripted show every like two weeks they said mm-hmm. so and then they've they've I think they've described in multiple ways that they want to exist between TV and movies. And I think that's at least a smart uh, way to approach this by attempting to find a new gra- new ground and, and, and make some new form of content. At least be thought of as something a little differently, you know, where, which is not the case that happened on Apple TV plus they were just making, making shows the way everyone else was making shows, but they're just way less experienced at it. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's ambitious. And yeah, that's an interesting point that maybe they could just quickly get acquired by somebody else. That I didn't think of that. You, you know, in looking at the shows that kind of stood out to me the most, it seems like they're really trying to get a very broad spectrum of shows to to grab the attention yeah, of maybe everything. Got everything. Uh, Thanks a million is uh, a J Lo produced show where celebrities give out a hundred thousand dollars to an unsuspecting stranger, then has to pay it forward. Uh, I think that's a show that could easily get that like uh, that sure. cry porn crowd, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Uh, the most dangerous game, Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz seems like a, a pretty cool idea for a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like playing this 24 hour game to get some monetary value. Um, Chrissy's court. Dave, I know you love that Chrissy Teigen content and Boy, Judge Judy crossed with Christy Teigen sounds just like an absolute mm-hmm. blast. Yeah, uh, a Hidden Temple comeback, Punked comeback. Uh, get some high profile stuff, I guess. I, I it, it, they just got to make make awareness up so people actually know what the hell this thing is because I don't think enough enough the, the layman knows what the hell could be is. I'm I'm very interested in it, and I, I could see myself investing five bucks to check this out, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially the the Spielberg thing you mentioned is very fascinating to me. So um, I'm definitely excited for Quibi. Bit skeptical because we've never seen anything like this yeah. before, where it's made just for your phone. Uh, but that that's where we're going. Any last thoughts on the Quibs? Uh, I think it'll at least be around for quite a while because, like I said, they have a lot of money uh, raised already, and there's a lot of high profile people already in bed to work with them. So. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they've already shot lost the most of the stuff that's going to be coming soon. So, um, yeah, this is actually, I think an exciting time and, you know, might actually be a more interesting thing to follow than Apple because Quibi is actually just trying to just pave a new road and be a new mm-hmm. part of the streaming wars. Whereas Apple always was just trying to get more people on their services and hardware. You know, that was just the point of Apple TV plus. So, right. Yeah. Uh, next month it's coming soon, April 6th. We'll, we'll be talking about checking it out. And what should the people be checking out for next week, Dave? Yeah, so I think the biggest things we're talking about is obviously The Outsider and The New Pope are wrapping up on HBO. We do do a wealth of things to discuss at the time. We did not talk about those premieres, so I'm excited just to get into those. Um, Pixar is releasing a new movie, Onward. That's uh, interesting. It has some solid reviews, like every Pixar movie, so that's, that's cool. Uh, Alex Garland's show Devs on FX comes out on Thursday. You can now watch that on Hulu the next day. So uh, all in on that show. Obviously, Alice Carlo needs no introduction. And then on Netflix, we have an original film of note, Spencer Confidential from Peter Berg, Winston Duke, and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, that's at least a, a trio of people I'll, 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 gi- I'll give a peek to. <laughs> and then uh, Kelly Reichert's acclaimed movie, First Cow, rolls out. Um, not by me or you just yet, but keep an eye out for that. Oh, and I'm also excited for CJ Fly's album, Rude Boy. He's from Pro Era, Joy Battis' crew. Rude Boy. Season, 
you know, Rude Boy seems to be a more uh, uh, Jamaican island sound. So I'm interested to see that. He's really the first, he was the first guy after Joey and Pro Era to release any solo music. So he's one of their OGs. One of the OGs and stick with us, your OGs for all that quality content. We'll be talking about it all next week. Hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and follow us any way you want to. And also, give us that five-star rating review on iTunes if you got a minute. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.